Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we had a little bit of a different conversation with Ian Leslie, who's recently completed a five-year stint as the CMO for Industry West, a game-changing online furniture retailer. He has since moved to the service side and he's now a senior director of retail operations for Bolt.com. But this conversation is a wide-ranging conversation between 240-something D2C and marketing vets about the state of the industry and the future of what's to come. We talk a little bit about why we're both in the D2C space. We talk about key lessons from his five years at Industry West. We talk about the future of fast checkouts. We even go into baseball cards, NFTs, and some big news from Adobe. And then we end on a bit of a down note, but it's some real talk about the coming and already here supply chain crunch that so many D2C brands are experiencing here in Q4. You're not going to want to miss this one. Hope you like it. On with the show. It's definitely crisis mode to an extent. You have some people out there who's like, well, you don't have to run by Friday, Cyber Monday sales because just having inventory is going to be in and of itself a value add and people will buy. Like, I don't know that that's true. I don't think a majority of the general public understands that. Like, I think a lot of the public is still going to come like December 15th and think they can go on Amazon Prime get stuff and like that ain't happening banking for online business owners can be a pain fees minimum balance requirements inability to connect with payment processors slow international payments and more fees did we mention the fees mercury is banking built for e-commerce with mercury you can get an fdic insured u.s business bank account in less than 10 minutes create virtual debit cards instantly send domestic and international wires and connect with your payment processors, platforms, and accounting software seamlessly. Plus, no account opening fees, wire transfer fees, or minimum balance requirements. It's banking for D2C founders. Try Mercury and upgrade your business banking today. Click the link in the description to sign up. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Ian. I wanted to just start off with a different question for you. Why are you in the D2C space? That's a great question. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. So my background is um, I was a journalist at a school, um, really glommed on to like a lot of data um, concepts and just conceptual thinking um, and strategic thinking in my work as a journalist um, and also kind of came up during social media marketing was kind of making its way into the world and, and newspapers were starting to take on more and more social media marketing. And so I got, I got into social media, got into Jack of all marketing, ended up doing lead gen demand gen, uh, within higher education. And I think just like what I learned in that space, um, and being able to kind of turn levers on and off, uh, to help bring prospects into the top of the funnel when I was in higher ed just kind of gave me um, a passion for all that comes with that. And so um, that kind of naturally went from lead gen to man gen in, in that space and took me into e-commerce and D2C and um, was on the merchant side for a, a good while. And now I'm on the SaaS side. And yeah, I mean, that's just sort of how I got to this this path. I had the same path. I, I came in some ways, I came in through affiliate marketing and it really is just, it's the nature of performance marketing where you can take a bunch of actions, see the results of the actions, refine your actions and see better results. It's that immediate feedback loop that a lot of people find, you know, hard to put down. Yeah, I think, I think that's certainly fair. I mean, I think, you know, I had a good conversation with uh, Phil Jackson yesterday. Do you think there's like a mental health aspect that we all have to kind of consider as part of that now as like we're kind of on all the time and, you know, Shopify, like 
pushes like their sales ticker that you can put by the side of your bed and you see every time you made a sale and like i i know i had my we were we were on magento but i mean i got a i got a ping literally for every order and i mean i, I do think there's like a a mental health component that needs to be considered as part of that. But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's addicting for sure. Right. Like you see um, that your actions create a reaction um, and can lead to, you know, lift in, in sales and engagement. I mean, yeah, it's, it's huge. You bring up a really good point about, you know, the, the, the mental wear and tear of being so results focused, results driven. It's, I know, I know of, you know, Shopify's onboarding process. I don't know if it still is, but it, it, there was a component to it was like, we understand you're going to have a breakdown. And the person that, that I know who was onboarded during this time was just sort of like, okay, well, it's good to know that I'm going to be working so hard that I might, you know, be risking a breakdown, especially now as I don't know if you're in the same boat, but like this room that I'm in this house, you know, my house now, I, I don't go to an office. Like I, I have this ring light, I have this microphone and I have this computer and all day just kind of pouring myself into it to see these results. But when you're winning, it's, it feels so good. It does. It does. I, I was like, it was always so cool to me when I saw people around me within like a, a, a regional geo who were purchasing from the site I worked for, but didn't know me. So it was like the brand had extended to my area, but wasn't associated with me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this order is going like two miles away and I don't know these people. So like they found the brand and they liked it. And I mean, yeah, there's an exhilaration for sure. Um, it, it's it's a fun ride. And I think like I've, I've done a lot, you know, in addition to I was in the D's merchant side with Industry West, but I mean, I, I've worked on social for a no, number of different other campaigns. And I was like a ghost social person for um, a wine campaign for a wine brand freelance. And I always just thought it was so odd that like I was, you know, writing these people as the wine Twitter account, you know, and I, I like had two young boys at the time. And like, I think there were three and four at the time. I'm like, my hair's on fire. And like, do you know, but the customer is like, ah, the wine account just wrote to me. And I'm like, I'm just some guy over here. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. It, so it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting world for sure. What's your, what's your favorite ever ad platform you've worked on? Uh, favorite ever ad platform. Wow. That's, um, it's gotta be Facebook ads. No, like it's, it's such a powerful, powerful system. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's great. I mean, I think it exceeded my intelligence. That's why I brought people on, on the agency side. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed, um, I mean, I, I know like when pinch, I, I was able to be pretty ground level on when Pinterest, uh, we were actually one of their beta partners and I was in the US in, in their pr- promoted pins. So, I mean, I think that was cool experience for me and just an opportunity to see that lift and be kind of a guinea pig for Pinterest. So, I mean, I think that always has like kind of a soft space in, in my heart. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I, I Facebook, you know, Facebook giveth and taketh away both in terms of like <laughs> how they operate, but then also like the complexity of, it could be so easy. It could be so difficult. There'll be times where you're just like beating your head against the wall and not understanding or, or even not even able to access like proper permissions and stuff that it's a little complex, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly powerful. Quite an incredibly robust tool for us, honestly, you know, when it comes to lead generating, finding more people like you and I, who we want to subscribe to the newsletter, we're finding TikTok is just like tenfold higher quality, which is funny when I think about like, if I'm on reels, I'm watching funny gags and and really like high level goofy things. But if I'm on TikTok, like there's a whole range of things that I could be into on TikTok. But yeah, it's been been a very interesting experience on, on that platform as well. I, I go back to the day where we were buying on, you know, different display platforms and real time bidding and 
all, all those types of things, which were nightmares. Yeah, much, much different. Yeah, yeah, much different world. Can you give me the story of uh, Industry West a little bit? Like just to talk a little, crystallize your time there, uh, five years in the the heart of the, the D2C movement. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when I came on in Industry West, uh, it was 2015. Um, I mean, I think Industry West was was pretty an early adopter in terms of e-commerce in the furniture space. So I think the fact that Industry West was uh, holding inventory was allowing on the Western consumer side, but more trade side to actually like buy in bulk online and not necessarily have to reach out for a quote or an estimate and then take the, the transaction offline was a new concept uh, for e-commerce furniture. So, I mean, I think coming in, um, really the decision was to continue to allow that trade opportunity, but put a kind of consumer side spin on it. And what we quickly learned, and a lot of it was the nature of the product, was that we weren't selling traditional office furniture or restaurant furniture. We were selling office and restaurant furniture that people also wanted in their homes. So really it became easy just to market it as a consumer side brand entirely and then to kind of hit both segments, consumer and um, and trade. And what we quickly learned is like the trade buyer isn't so different than the consumer buyer is that you just have to have the tools in place and a lot of them being conversational tools to allow them to succeed in their purchase. So it's like, hey, saw this chair in a Instagram ad, go to the site, love the chair. Um, do you have 200 of them? And are they, you know, uh, and what's the weight capacity? Uh, and you answer those questions for them and they're ready to check out. Um, so, I mean, we saw like, you know, my first couple of, uh, my first year there, you know, we rarely saw that trade order occur online. And then by the time I had left, you know, in June, um, we were regularly seeing like, you know, substantial trade orders of, of units, you know, 40, 50, 60 units occurring online. So, um, that was a big change in the industry. Uh, that being said, I mean, I think furniture as a vertical is always going to be a bit of an old fashioned kind of vertical. And you're always going to have people who like uh, go on your site, love your product, add a hundred to the cart, take it all the way through to checkout and then take a screenshot and send it to a sales rep for a quote, uh, which was always a little frustrating. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, so we saw, you know, I don't want to dive too much into the numbers as I'm not there anymore, but, you know, saw exponential growth on the e-commerce side, saw growth in share of overall uh you know, revenue in terms of e-commerce um, with kind of always staying true to just offering amazing product and um, being open to consumer side and trade side. And uh, Jordan, who's the founder, CEO and founder, I mean, he's gone on record just saying, and we, we kind of chatted about this a lot. It's like the company he created in 2010, I don't think could be created in 2021, you know, just in the nature of how many competitors there are out there in the space and the, the cost per acquisition and just the competitive nature and, and then just people's attention span too. Now, you know, I mean, they're just seeing so many ads and like the first time you you look for furniture online, you're immediately going to now get, you know, 27 different companies trying to hit you up. So uh, I don't know that it's something that could happen today. Uh, the way he did it, particularly bootstrapped is, is a huge um, just feather in his cap and, and so happy for for what they've built. Um, and yeah, that, that was my time there. And, and now I'm at Bolt where I'm on the SaaS side with one click checkout, which is amazing because I get to touch a lot of different brands and, and be part of their success. So, yeah. I wanted to just go back just a little bit on the trade stuff because as we haven't had anyone on the podcast talk about marketing to trade in in that kind of way. Is it different than marketing to direct to consumer in, in that are you using Facebook ads to reach restaurant owners and restaurant buyers and things like that? Or is yeah, describe to me what the trade how the scale happened in trade. Yeah, I mean I think that's like like really to the point. To my point is that like 
I think we were offering such a product that um, we didn't have to be too segmented in, in, in the audience because like the product we were selling worked just as well in a hotel lobby as it did in someone's living room uh, or, you know, or like these um, bistro, the bistro chair, the bistro stool, right? Like people want that for their, their um, cottage farmhouse kind of kitchen as much as they do for the pizzeria. So like we're, that was, that was a benefit of like being able to basically cast a pretty broad net and hit the consumer and also hit the trade. So um, now like we did, try to once they came online like we would offer like a trade form they could fill out and get to know who they were and what the demographic you know what the audience we were talking to was and there were trade discounts etc but um really we we tried to to treat it um very similarly in 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 how we segmented the marketing i mean we did take opportunities to like try to you know target um asid interior design firms you know different different organizations and interior design firms on LinkedIn and, you know, LinkedIn's CPAs are just so high. Um, I, I never really could just never validated the extra expense, um, of what we saw of those. So, um, we, we never really went that, that route. I mean, so much so that like we, I, I'd say like in terms of channel, you know, how we, we looked at the channels. I mean, we, we divested a lot out of, out of Google, um, while I was there and just went much more into the social Pinterest, Instagram, um, even like using like a credio retargeting sort of stuff. Uh, and yeah, just less keyword search and more just that we could get, you know, visuals in front of people. Yeah. Top of funnel kind of stuff. Talk to me a little bit about the retail space right now. You probably work with a lot of retail brands at bold, which brands are, are doing the retail to e-commerce trend the best, would you say? Which plans are doing retail to e-commerce the best? Well, it's a good because if I understand, you're the director of retail at Bolt. Is that right? No, retail advocacy. So it's really like merchant advocacy. So not necessarily. Okay, got it. Yeah. So overall, I mean, really, I'm working with all of our partner brands. Um, so like Solo Stove, right? right we have Solo Stove. We have um, we're actually onboarding Casper relatively soon, which is really cool. Um, Lucky Brand Forever Twenty One. Um, some really cool about Burt's Bees Babies, which is an amazing pajama brand. Hollywood is another furniture brand. So really, I mean, mostly e-commerce brands that, that aren't necessarily, we say retail, it's more of like a global thought of retail. Not necessarily all of them are in retail. Um, I think Solo Stove is in some retail locations. But I mean, yeah, mostly, I mean, largely D2C brands um, that is a, that we're working with. Um, and so what are the brands that you work with doing best at checkout, like what are what are like the best practices right now for the highest conversion rate from from that process? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think really, I mean, uh, I've seen a lot of conversation uh, always. Right, checkouts always being discussed on Twitter, like constantly. Um, but I mean, I think I think like what a big differentiating aspect is 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 like to be able to offer many checkout options without it looking like a NASCAR, right? Without having like checkout stickers everywhere and having like different checkout gateways and all that. So like, I think what makes like Bolt for one and, and not to like kind of just continue to talk about Bolt too much, but I think what it makes it like a really interesting product is that it's sort of agnostic to the gateway and it's more about just helping you get the conversion. So like when you're adding, like you can now add buy now, pay later options directly through Bolt. You can add alternative payment methods, whether it's a PayPal or an Amazon pay directly through Bolt, but it's all being added to like the same payment modal. 
So like it's getting you to the point of checkout, popping this like really aesthetically pleasing payment modal that's branded with your branding. And then it's then it's offering like, okay, well, do you want to use Apple Pay? Do you want to use credit card? Do you want to use a firm with Klarna? Um, and that's where I think like that's I think a big differentiator is just like whereas a lot of these are just offering like 27 buttons in the mini cart or you know, wherever. Um, I think like we do the optimization and I, I I've been touting this stat recently that if like if you just added like credit card and three different BNPL or APM options, but you're looking at 2 million different cart variations that you could based on color, button placement, uh, et cetera. So it's like, let us do that hard work for you. And really we're, we're just optimizing to the conversion and we're not optimizing necessarily like for a gateway. Like we don't care if like it's credit card or Klarna or if it's Amazon pay, like we just want your customers to check out. So, um, that's really, I think, a value add. And I think really what people should be, that's where I think, you know, merchants should strive for is like, what's the easiest way to get people to check out and not necessarily what's the most options we can show them. Like, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of like the payment paralysis kind of argument that it's like, you don't want to show too many options. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I think you want to provide as many options as possible. Like you want to meet the customer where they live. Um, it's just, just how best to show those options in more of a journey rather than an overwhelming type right, situation. Exactly, and so you're exactly. talking about specifically stepping them through defined stages of a checkout more where you, you like, or is it different screens or is it just segmented in different ways on the checkout page? No, it's, it's one screen. I mean, it's really so like, so with bolt, you can either, um, I mean, you could, uh, yeah, you have two options. You could offer checkout directly on the PDP on the product page, or you can, you know, go through the traditional cart process and, have the checkout button in the mini cart. And then, um, you know, when you hit that, it's you're taken to the modal where you have the multiple payment options that, you know, you want to offer. So, you know, and that's all handled as opposed to what's really cool too, is that as opposed to having to uh, have your dev team enable all those different options on the back end, you're actually enabling them through your Bolt account, through your Bolt merchant account. So you're creating Karna credentials and then inserting those Karna credentials into your Bolt merchant account, and then Karna is suddenly, you know, populated in your in your payment modal, and then that carries with you as you know I talked about conversational commerce a little bit. Like I think one thing we utilized a ton when I was at Industry West is creating these back office payment links that you could insert into, you know, a chat session or putting an email or whatever and providing the same e-commerce-esque checkout, but through chat or through email. And then they're seeing that same payment modal experience when they click that link, which I think is super cool. Nice. Yeah, I have a podcast later today with getrepeat.io and that's their whole business model is just that that reorder functionality where it lives in emails mm. And yeah. in, uh, in chat, you know, just because there's that huge gap between people that subscribe and people that just want to buy again and have an easy experience doing it. Ready to scale your customer acquisition with creators? Meet Incense, a creator marketing platform helping brands scale using authentic, mobile-first videos and images from a vetted network of influential content creators. For an extra spark in your ad performance, check out Incense's one-click influencer whitelisting solution. So your ads look like they're coming directly from an influencer. Sign up now and get $400 on your balance to work with creators at incense.pro. That's www.incense.pro. You're on D2C Twitter a lot, uh, which is a, a fun place to be, I feel like. there's a It's a fairly good community. What sort of value do you get out of D2C Twitter, I was wondering? I think I get I get a lot of great ideas. I mean, there's so many smart, smart, smart people out there on DTC Twitter. Um, 
So I think one is like, it definitely um, elevates my own knowledge, uh, which I think is obviously important. Like always want to keep learning. Um, I'm 42. Um, I'm going to start soon. We'll be out of my, uh, out of my prime, right? Like I'm not going to be one of the cool kids soon enough. If I, if, even if I'm probably not already. So like, I need to be on there to learn, like to just keep track of what's going on and, and to learn from some great people. I think it also keeps me pretty grounded, uh, in terms of like, okay, there's like, I was telling my wife the other night, I'm like, there's this like DDC, there's this Twitter battle happening right now. Right. And like, I tried to explain it to her and she really, you know, I was like, you know what? Like, this is such inside baseball right here that like, there are maybe 75,000 people in this entire country who care about this. <laughs> like, you know, and I'm like the average shopper. And so like, I think like when I talked about like payment paralysis and I talked about like, you know, this gateway versus that gateway and you know should we be i don't know i I don't know what quite exactly what examples i want to give but at the end of the day like there's like two two coasts that care about that and a bunch of cities in between and the rest of the country has never even heard of half this stuff and doesn't care right like they just want to go online have a good experience check out like like when i see people say like if i go to a website and they don't have xxx checkout like I'm just leaving, I'm bouncing. And I'm just like, that's not normal. That's not normal America. Like we're very, um, you know, there's a bubble that DDC Twitter lives in. And I think that's like, so I think it keeps me grounded to be like, okay, like this isn't the real world, but this is also like stuff I definitely do need to keep abreast of. Um, so I, I take it for what it's worth on both sides. And, and I try not to, you know, take it too seriously. But I mean, I think that there's some, some amazing, amazing, amazing people like I, that I've never even met in real life, but, you know, have um, offered me, um, you know, just a few minutes of their time and expertise. Like Val um, is my, you know, basically the the advocate over at Clavio, And she, you know, this is like a new position, this whole advocacy position. And she was one of, she was, took that role and built it out at Clavio. And when I told her I was coming to Bolt to do the same, she, I was like, you know, I'd love 20 minutes of your time just to, to know what are you, what are we doing? You know? And I, and she was just so uh, awesome about her time. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's amazing people for sure, but you know, there's also a lot of people who take themselves way too seriously. Yeah. And we won't call them out on this one exactly, but I do <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I, I think we're in an interesting position now because we're both, our business is to connect to D2C brands. Uh, specifically either they're going to subscribe to my newsletter they're going to work for bolt and so we kind of have this mentality where there are customer avatars now and i think your point about we're all each other's customer avatars in a lot of ways because the d2c people in this d2c space are quite often also like hyper d2c consumers and only a d2c consumer would say something like i'm not going to check out if it doesn't have you know, Klarna or whatever on right. it, right? So i think i think that is a really good point that uh like my wife has literally never used shopay yeah like I tell that to people and they're just like, are you insane? And I'm like, <laughs> she, no, like, I mean, she hasn't, like, I don't know what you want from me. Like, she, you know, like, you know, and, and we're getting stuff delivered to the house like three days a week, you know? So like, I tell my wife you, loves that. My, we just, we just, we just got like $500 of like herbs from, from, uh, from someone. <laughs> if you're listening out there in D2C, you know, bribery will get you everywhere. So send me your products. <laughs> there you go. I also, you mentioned inside baseball. I noticed you tweet a lot about one of your passions, which is uh, collecting sports cards. Yeah, new, new. that's new for me, yeah. 
talk to me a little bit about the. I, I collected sports cards like pretty avidly growing up, of hockey cards specifically. Oh yeah, uh, which are which are worth almost nothing as far as I can tell now. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, talk to me a little bit about the sporting card thing. Is it something that you rekindled from when you were younger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to your same, you said you're 42, I'm 42. I, I collected a lot of um, sports cards growing up, basketball in the early 90s, um, a lot of basketball, a little bit of baseball. Uh, have recently learned as I picked it back up over the past year to 18 months that I guess that was what they call like the junk card generation, where like we were pulling these like Mad- Michael Jordan 1994 amazing looking skybox cards and like ends up there were, you know, 250,000 of those printed. Um, mm. And like, there were even some cards that like, someone posted the other day. There's like, it, even the card itself said like one of 75,000. And we were like, we, back then when we pulled that, we were like, Oh my gosh, one of 75,000. This is amazing. And you know, now you'll see a card that's like one of 299 that's selling for like 10 bucks. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's super cool. It's been a really good experience for um, just to kind of get back into it. But then also um, to share it with my two teenage sons and, um, has uh, opened them up to uh, a, just a little bit of an entrepreneurial kind of experience for them to kind of take the time to to rip packs and see what things are valued and what comps are and what they may be able to like you know do they want to hold do they want to turn it uh, flip it um, so it's been it's been good um, it's been really super interesting for me now it's more uh, football both well football both um, American football and European football soccer is like what we collect mostly. Um, but yeah, it's been super fun. And then, but to bring it back to like the DTC space, um, no one is doing this particularly well. <laughs> like everyone's e-commerce experiences for cards are, is pretty bad. Um, and I th- I'm hoping when fanatics, you know, picks up, um, a lot of these licenses, I think in two years is when they come due and, and fanatics gets its crack at it. Um, I mean, I think Fanatics is, is going to do a great job of it, both on the customer service and just the, the checkout side. But, um, I mean, a lot of these are doing pretty poor jobs, <laughs> a lot of the, the major brands. Yeah. It's interesting that collecting cards is making a bit of a comeback as NFTs kind of come up. Because I feel like they're sort of like prehistoric NFTs. They're these yeah. limited edition, you know, things that are kind of, you know, that you can have ownership mm-hmm. over. Uh, is are you Are you in the NFT? Are you keeping abreast of NFT stuff at all? Um, a little bit, not too much. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not too, too much into it. I've been more into fractional, which is, I know a different concept, but I mean, I have been into a lot of some of the fractional ownership stuff that's been going on, particularly in terms of sports memorabilia, like rally and, uh, collectible, uh, are the two main players in there. Um, which has been fun. Um, what's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I actually, that whole NFT, my, one of my sons is, is a pretty, you know, I think he's a pretty talented, uh, artist. And, uh, I saw that like a future update of Adobe is going to allow, um, you to save as, as an NFT, which is pretty cool. Save files as an NFT, which I think will hold up, like open up a whole level of kind of, uh, entrepreneurialism to a younger generation. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of abreast of it, uh, but, but just like, Twitter, Twitter awareness. Like I haven't really dove too much into, you know, buying a, what is it like an ape or a, yeah, I don't even know. A, a, yeah. I don't even, if know. I can make them on, yeah. if I can make them just on, on Adobe, I think that's a really cool piece of news. I hadn't heard that actually. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to, uh, I wanted to ask also like, what's your mentality going into Q4 this year? How are, how are you seeing the brands that you're working with preparing is, is are people uh, trepidatious about it this year? Are they just as excited as they have been in previous years? What's your, what's your read on Q4? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be 
bonkers, like something we've never seen, right? I mean, I think um, all these containers on the water, we have no idea what inventory levels are like. Uh, people are saying, you know, do we want to push gift cards? Uh, do we want to push buy now, receive Q2? Um, I mean, and, and, and that's those are all great ideas, but our business is willing to take on the liabilities of those, you know, outstanding uh, payments, you know, of that outstanding fulfillment. I, I honestly don't know. I, I it's it's really going to be really interesting. I think um, businesses are going to need cash flow, right? So they're going to sell, and they may be selling things that aren't going to be deliverable until April, for all they know. And I think it's going to be a huge customer service backlog, and and the companies that are most transparent and deal with it best are going to are going to win and 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 gain a lot of evangelists. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's tricky time, and I also think what's super interesting is that. This is another thing where I think this is, it should not be inside baseball, but I think it's, it's people are, some businesses are going to realize that the general public is not as aware of what we're dealing with as we think they are. Like, you know, I think in like, terms of what, in terms of advertising, supply, in terms of- no, in terms of supply chain, the supply chain. Yeah. Uh, backup. Um, so like, I think, yeah, it's, it's on, you know, the news every now and then, and we see articles and whatever, but like, I mean, I, so here's here's a point in case case in point is um, we have I'm, I'm a soccer coach at my kid's school and we're trying to you know get some apparel for the coming spring season and um, they had it they the same company did the apparel for football season and like there was a right like they were delayed because everything is delayed um, and you know some of the parents are like well I'm never I'm not working for this company again like they were you know we got to use a different I'm like this is it like this is not the company's issue this is like a global supply chain issue and I, I don't I don't think a lot of people like I don't think a majority of the general public understands that like I think a lot of the public is still going to come like December 15th and think they can go on Amazon Prime and get stuff and like that ain't happening um, so yeah it's gonna it's gonna be super interesting are a lot of D2C brands feeling these does the supply chain constricting already, or it's just this idea that in the ne- in the coming weeks and months? Oh no, the supply chain's constricted. Yeah, no, it, it has been for eighteen months. Um, they say if your stuff's not on the water, like it's good luck. But I mean, I think if your stuff hasn't been on the water for four weeks now, like good luck. Like this, you're not if it's not in stock now. Like I don't think you're you're not restocking before Christmas. Um, for a lot of like, and that, that's to say, if you're not a company that's willing to pay you know, the additional costs and additional fees to get to the front of the line. Right. Um, but I mean, when you're really looking at container prices that have inflated from, you know, $5,000, 18 months ago to nearly $30,000 now, just to bring the darn container in. Um, and that's without any kind of premium fee. It's yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely crisis mode to an extent. Um, so I think it'll be, it'll be interesting. And then, but, and then you have like, I guess getting back to like the marketing side, like you have some people out there who's like, well, you don't have to run by Friday, Cyber Monday sales because just having inventory is going to be in and of itself, you know, a value add and people will buy. Like, I don't know that that's true. Like, I don't that's know. Interesting. It's just You'd like, still what, have to what, be in their field, right? If you were right. the one Black Friday Cyber, you could offer a lower discount, I guess. Right. Like, because right. if you're the one in your field that's got inventory. Yeah. And people are, wow, that is, this is interesting. We have, we don't, we don't talk a lot about this on the podcast, but it's obviously something that's going to be affecting people uh, yeah. in one way or another and is already uh, massively. So, you know, d- don't want to end it on, on doom and gloom, but it's reality. <laughs> I think that we have to recognize. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it is super interesting and we'll see, like I said, I mean, I think 
there are some brands out there that are um, will be pushing gift cards heavy. Um, I think there are some that are already being pretty transparent about um, you know just delivery issues and supply chain issues and, and whatever. And and I think I think customer service is just going to be that much more important uh, for for these brands to survive. I totally agree with that. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the DTC podcast today, Ian. This was uh, interesting and entertaining. A little bit of a a different one than than we normally have. Word. Yeah, awesome. Happy to do it. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. If you're ready to access the proven performance marketing blueprint that scales your brand post iOS 14.5, if you're looking for the Facebook marketing system that's driven over $50 million in value for Pilot House's clients in just the last six months, then you are looking for Scale School, Facebook and Instagram ads made by D2C in partnership with Pilot House. You can go to d2cnews.link slash scale school right now to access the course for a discount this week only. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.